And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Standing in front of me is Brother John Hurley. John Hurley is our Royal Rangers commander. And that's right, give him a big hand. Amen. Amen. Now, John, you have been so faithful with this ministry. Is this, is this microphone on? John, tell me about Royal Rangers. What boys, what age boys does it minister to? Well, in our church, basically, we're going from uh, like kindergarten through fifth grade. Now, actually, we do have one boy older than that. But, um, you know, I've just really enjoyed, you know, working with Royal Rangers over the years. It really helps to give these boys a strong Christian foundation. And it seems like there's so many families these days that don't really have a Christian male role model. And that's what we do for them. And we teach them about the Word of God. We have our devotions and Bible studies. And we want to get that Word of God in them. So and, and, and I've heard you say so many times, we're here to reach, to keep. Reach, teach, and keep boys for Christ. Uh, they also, actually the new one is, is the goal of Royal Rangers is to evangelize, equip, and empower the next generation of lifelong servant leaders. Amen. It's good stuff. So... So, John, if there's, a, if there's a parent here today or maybe even a child that would like to be a part of Royal Rangers, how do they do that? Well, we meet uh, at Royal Rangers. Well, basically, first of all, we meet at Kid Venture. We um, meet there. Um, well, when, when do you meet? Well, 7 o'clock. Now, if you can, you can actually get there a little bit earlier because, you know, some people get there about quarter till. And then um, little, we'll have like a... Oh, what, what day is this? It's on Wednesday night. Wednesdays, okay. Yeah, 7 okay. o'clock, that's it. 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. Right, right. So, um, you know, we meet up there, then we'll, we'll have like a song and uh, uh, maybe do a Bible verse, then we'll go to, down to the Royal Ranger Hut and do some stuff, and then we're going to be starting going up at the end of the service uh, back to Kid Ventures. So everybody will have a secure environment for dropping off and picking up the, the Amen. boys. And, and Brother John Hurley has worked with Royal Rangers at Evangel for now for over 40 years. 40 years. Somebody say Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 John, you put your hand to the plow and you haven't looked back. Amen. Thank you. Glory to God. Sometimes we have we have ministries around here that we have to do a lot of recruiting for leadership. But Royal Rangers has not been one of them. John, we appreciate you. We love you. Here's a little gift from Kathy and I just to say thank you. Okay, appreciate Amen. It. We're happy for you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Take your Bibles and uh, turn to Mark, the fifth chapter. Mark chapter 5, and um, most of you are aware that uh, the Bahamas took a heavy, heavy hit this past week because of this Hurricane Dorian, and um, Convoy of Hope, I'm happy to tell you, Convoy of Hope was on site in the Bahamas just 12 hours after the hurricane hit, and I got an got a email just saying that... Um, that uh, there's been there's tremendous suffering there 
it says that uh, on the two islands of Abaco and Grand Bahama that the flood water rose to a depth of 20 feet, and that includes Freeport. Of the homes that, 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 that still have a roof intact, 70%, this was as of three days ago, 70% were still underwater. One Assembly of God pastor was trapped in the roof structure of his home where he climbed to escape the flood. Though he had 11 foot feet of water in his home. Many people just have nothing. And so we're going to give you an opportunity at the close of today's service. Our ushers are going to be standing at the door. And if you would like to give a gift that will go to, to help those in need in the Bahamas, please just uh, make a check payable to Evangel, or you can give cash, or you can give online. And if you give online, just say it's for the Bahamas support, and we'll make sure that it gets where it's supposed to go to. Mark chapter 5, we're going to begin reading at verse 21. It says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Now, everybody look at me. I want you to get a sense of what's happening here. It says he's by the sea. This is not the Mediterranean Sea. This is the, what's called the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. It's, it's not a real special lake. We wouldn't even know about it if Jesus hadn't walked those shores and done miracles there. But Jesus did. It's a lake that's about eight foot, eight miles long and about, about <laughs> 14 miles wide. And it's, it's a great lake. It's a great fishing lake. It's where the headwaters of the Jordan River start. But Jesus has been on the other side because he's cast some demons out of a demoniac. And now he's crossed to the other side. And, and it says a great crowd met him. A great multitude gathered to him. He was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Today I want to talk to you about Jairus' miracle, because I believe God's got a miracle for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you need, but I do know that the miracle worker is here this morning. And the Bible says that one of the rulers of the synagogue, well, that means he was like a local pastor, okay? He comes, his name is Jairus, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Well, Matthew 9, verse 18 tells this same story, and Matthew goes into a little more, little more, little deeper into the story because he says not only did he fall at his feet, but it uses the word proskunio, which is the word for worship. It says that literally, Jairus bowed low to the ground. Proskunio means to bow down and to kiss. It means to focus all your love, all your attention, all your affections on the one that you're worshiping. And so the very first thing that this man Jairus does is he bows down and he worships Jesus as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords. I just want to suggest to you that many times miracles start with your worship. He's worshiping Jesus. You say, why is it important to worship? Well, God inhabits the praises of his people, his presence. I don't know if you place a high value on the manifest presence of Jesus on the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but I place a huge value 
on the manifest presence of the Lord. See, I, th th this Christian life is not made for you just trying to figure everything out up here. The Bible says that we're not to lean on our own understanding. I mean, thank God for the little bit of gray matter we do have. Thank God for the little bit of understanding that we do have. But dear ones, I, I, I thank God for the presence of the Lord. I drive down the street and many times I'm just praying in English and I'm praying in other tongues and I'm saying, Jesus, I thank you for your manifest presence. I thank you for the sweet anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. Man, I couldn't do this job without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't have enough smarts. I don't have enough wisdom. But the Holy Ghost, He's got insight. He sees things I don't see. And He understands things I don't understand. And He knows how to make a way where there doesn't appear to be a way. And He will lead you and guide you. And when you need it, the Holy Spirit will give you a word of wisdom. He'll give you a word of knowledge. He'll give you discerning of spirits. He'll give you the gift of faith and the working of miracles and the gifts of healings and tongues and interpretation and prophecy. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit will bring love and joy and peace and long-suffering and goodness and meekness and temperance against such which there is no law. He'll, he, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And we become like that which we worship. Did you know that you can go through the motions of worship and be a phony? You can go through the motions of worship and be insincere. I think about Judas. I bet when Peter had his revelation of who Christ was, he says, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've all been waiting on. I bet Judas was saying, amen, amen, amen. I agree, I agree, I agree. But the Bible says that Judas had a secret, that Judas was a thief, and that Judas was stealing from the offerings. Can you imagine we're worshiping God here with our offerings and some of the people that take it up help themselves between here and the safe room? That's what was going on. Judas was helping himself and Judas' true colors ended up showing through because he betrayed Jesus, you'll remember, for 30 pieces of silver. Well, Jairus' miracle starts with worship. And I just want to suggest to you that your miracles are going to start with worship as well. It says, verse 22, it says, Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he begged him earnestly saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Again, in your minds, I want you to see this. The Bible says he's gotten off the boat. A great multitude is thronging him. They're surrounding him. He's got the 12 disciples that are acting as bodyguards, but he's got hundreds of people trying to get to him. And now he's got Jairus, the, the ruler of the synagogue comes and says, my little daughter is really sick. Would you please come and lay hands on her? Because if you'll lay hands on her, she will be healed. I want you to catch the level of, of faith that he makes at this point. There's an affirmation of faith. He doesn't say, Jesus, would you come and maybe something will happen if you lay your hands on her. Jesus, would you come and just maybe she might be. I've heard that sometimes some are blessed and some are healed. It might happen. That's not what he said. He said, Jesus, I want you to come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Dear ones, we serve a faith God and he didn't respond just to need he responds to faith 
So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And then in verse 25, it says a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. We talked about this several weeks ago. We looked at this specific passage of scripture that talked about the woman with the issue of blood. Now, I want you to see here's Jairus. He's trying to gently lead Jesus. He's got him by the arm saying, Jesus, come with me to my house to pray for my daughter. The disciples are all around. This great multitude's all around. And then this woman of the issue of blood crawls through the crowd. She says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be well. And she touches his garment in faith. And Jesus said, who touched me? And Peter says, what do you mean who touched me? There are people all around you. He says, somebody touched me in faith. Dear ones, it's not the curious touch that receives from Jesus. It's not the religious touch that receives from Jesus. It's the faith-filled touch that receives from the Lord. Now let's fast forward over to verse 34 as he's ending his dialogue with this woman. He says, verse 34, and he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? What's the, the ruler of the synagogue? What's Jairus thinking at this point? Boy, if that woman hadn't delayed Jesus, if that woman hadn't come up to touch the hem of his garment, we would have already been there. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further. You know, there's some people that believe that Jesus can heal the sick, but they don't believe he can raise the dead. There's some people that believe that Jesus can do some things, but they don't believe that he can do all things. They didn't realize that they're standing in the presence of the one who would walk into the city of Nain and encounter a funeral procession and go over to the coffin and look at a young man and say, young man, arise and totally interrupt that, that funeral procession and raise him from the dead. They didn't realize that they were standing in the presence of the one who would stand at Lazarus' tomb and proclaim, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that he had been dead for three days and he was all wrapped up like a mummy. And he came out out of that grave. I don't think he could walk. I think he was having to hop because he was all bound up. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Whoever came and said, don't bother Jesus anymore. She's dead. They didn't realize that they're standing in the presence of the one who said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to know we serve a risen savior who's the resurrection and he's alive and he knows his way out of every grave and he knows his way out of every difficult situation. And the angels know how to roll the stones away from your life. The angels know how to roll the stones away that would try to keep the resurrection from being manifest in Jesus' name. Verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only Believe. Would you repeat that last sentence with me there in, in, in verse 36? Do not be afraid, only believe. Let's do it two more times. Do not be afraid, only believe. One more time. Do not be afraid, only believe. 
Dear ones, we're living in a day and age that fear is gripping the hearts of Americans. Fear is gripping the hearts of people around the globe. Jesus said in the parable of the sower, he said, one of the things that will steal the word of God out of your heart and out of my heart are the worries of this life, the cares of this life. Jesus said, by worry, we can't make ourselves any taller. Somebody said that only about 8% of the things that you worry about have the possibility of happening. That means that, that we're, we're, we're wasting about 92% of worries, aren't we? Huh. Jensen Franklin says there's six major fears that people grapple with. We, we fear the fear of failure. You're not born with the fear of failure. Scientists tell us that little babies are only born with two fears. The fear of loud noises. You ever, ever made a loud noise around an infant? They'll cry in a heartbeat. And infants are born with a fear of falling. Six major fears. Number one, fear of failure. Dear ones, that's a learned fear. We've gone through life and we've had some failures and we didn't like the way it felt. And we said, I never want to go through that again. So I'm going to live my life on the sidelines. Number two, fear of rejection. Like the lady that came to me one Sunday after church, said, Pastor, see those two ladies back there? I said, sure, I see them. Pastor, they're talking about me. Would you go tell them to stop talking about me? I just kind of moseyed back there and I listened. They were talking about bacon apple pies. And I went back to that lady. I said, I said, ma'am, they're not talking about you. They're talking about cooking. Oh, I just know they're talking about me. Listen, dear ones, if you want to live your life, give in place to vain imaginations, you can do it. If you want to give your life, live your life, give in place to strongholds, you can do it. But most people are not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. You're just a legend in your own mind. So quit fearing rejection. Just square your shoulders. Put a smile on your face. I put on my pants just like everybody else does. I'm as good as anybody else around here. I'm going for it. I'm not going to fear that they reject. Yeah, maybe somebody may say unkind things to you. It may stress you a little bit. But you just keep on walking. You keep on doing the right thing. The third fear people face is fear of not having enough. Fear of not having your needs supplied. Number four, fear of bad things happening to your family. Number five, fear about your health. And finally, fear of death. Dear ones, when we live a life of faith in God, it doesn't mean that we don't experience the symptoms of being afraid. It doesn't mean that, 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 that you don't experience some degree of fear. But here's the deal. Here's what it means. It means that when you're feeling afraid, you can look at your circumstances and you can quote Psalms 46 and say, God is my refuge and my strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. 
And dear ones, your own ears need to hear your own mouth speaking God's word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if it doesn't help anybody else, it'll help you. Dear ones, God is my refuge and strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. God has not given me this old spirit of fear. Oh yeah, there may be a spirit of fear trying to plague me, but God hasn't given me this spirit of fear, but he's given me a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. John says there's no fear in love because perfect love cast out fear. Paul wrote to the Romans chapter 8 verse 15. He says God's not given us the spirit of bondage again to fear, but he's given us a spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba, Father. Hallelujah. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the very first emotion that we learn of that they experienced was fear. Immediately, as soon as they sinned, a sin nature, everything was perfect, but then a sin nature came into the world. Adam hears the voice of God walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and he hides himself and God says, Adam, where are you? How many of you know God wasn't asking for geographical information? God knew where he was. It's not that God needed a GPS, man. He, he's omniscient. He knows everything. Adam, where are you? And finally, Adam realized he's found out. And he says, well, Lord, I heard your voice and I was afraid because I'm naked. Now, the truth of the matter is Adam's always been naked up to this point. He just didn't know it. God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you been eating of that tree I told you not to eat of? Folks, fear will eat your lunch if you let it. I want you to hear me and hear me really good on this. You can be in the center of God's will for your life. You can be in the center of God's perfect will for you, and yet there are times that you can feel unsafe. You can be in the center of God's will for, you, for your life, and yet there can be times that you'll feel uncomfortable. You know, when, when Kathy and I first moved to Chicago to plant a new church, we went through several years of feeling unsafe. We went through several years of feeling uncomfortable. You say, well, Pastor, why was that? I've been to Chicago. It's a great town. It is a great town. I always loved visiting there. I just didn't know what it was like to live on the North Shore of Chicago. I didn't know what it was like to live in a place that, that had 70% of the churches were Catholic and 20% were Jewish. And there's just not many Protestant Bible-believing churches or Bible-practicing people like we have here in the Sun Belt, the Bible Belt. And guys, there was a new level of spiritual warfare. And I thought I knew all about spiritual warfare, but I had never tried to plant a church in a major metropolitan area where the light of Christ was not shining brightly already. And I, I met a whole new level of demonic Opposition, And it kept me up at night. There were, there, there were all kinds of, of warfare things going on. And the other thing is that we were a thousand miles away from everything familiar to us. We were a thousand miles away from anybody that we could call if we were in trouble, if we needed anything. We felt like we were missionaries 
in Illinois. Never forget going and talking to Kathy's daddy, to Calvin Wellens. And I said, Mr. Wellens, I said, Kathy and I feel like God is calling us to the North Shore of Chicago to plant a church. And he was silent for a while, just like I was when Paul and Terry came and told me they were moving to <laughs> South Carolina. Just like I was when Byron and Catherine told me they were moving to North Carolina. Just like I was when Kristen and Adam told me they were going to move to Charleston. He was quiet for a minute. Then he looked at me and in all sincerity, he said, well, son, aren't there any churches in the South that would have you? <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. I said, we've, we've actually turned down some, some outstanding churches in the South, but we feel called of God to do this. And I'm not sure he fully understood that. But you know what? He said, well, son, I'll be praying for you and we'll come visit you. For several years, Kathy and I were off balance with the, the culture on the North Shore of Chicago. Man, I'll, I'll tell you what, you got some, there's some aggressive women <laughs> on the North Shore. You'd go into the grocery store, man, you'd, if you weren't moving fast, you'd get run over. That's the truth. We were just off balance. How many of you know what a mudroom is on a house? You know what a, a few of you do? I had no clue. When we moved there, I had no clue what a mudroom was. A mudroom is simply a, a room that's usually attached to the laundry room or the back porch or, or someplace. And, it's, and because there's so much snow and so much ice and, you're, and it creates a lot of mud and, and mess, you know, when people come into the house, they don't go into the house. They go into the mudroom and they take off their muddy boots or galoshes or whatever it is they're wearing. And then they usually walk in their bare feet around the house. That really saves the carpet, you know. Well, our church was small and we were praying to grow and Kathy had met this lady at the grocery store and started witnessing to her. And then I met her husband and I started witnessing to him. And lo and behold, they came to church and they got saved, but they had some issues. And they called me. It was about three o'clock one morning. They were having a knockdown, drag out fight. And they said, can you please come over here and keep us from killing each other? <laughs> it's snowing. There's about two feet of snow on the ground. I go inside their house. I did notice that they had nice white carpet. I'm sitting in that living room and I'm still rubbing the sleep from my eyes. And I'm trying to be a referee. I'm trying to speak peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm trying to be a peacemaker in that situation. And man, he says something that really got her upset. And she started telling him off. And then in the same vein, she turned to me and you... You never take your shoes off when you come in this house. How disrespectful can you be? I didn't know. Nobody told us. When we moved there, it didn't come with instructions. No, nobody said, always take your shoes off. Always go to the mud. I just, I just, I just didn't know. Remember our, our kids, Terry was in the third grade and Catherine was in the second grade and Kristen was about two and a half years of age. And I remember we, we enrolled the kids in a Christian school. We thought that would be the best thing to do. We didn't really have the money to do it, but we were doing it by faith because everything else we were doing by faith. So we're just trusting God. We put them in the Christian school. And first one day, one, one girl came home crying and said, honey, what's wrong? She said, the other children made fun of me today at school. They say I speak funny. I've got a Southern accent. I said, well, you go tell them that they speak funny. 
to our ears at least. You know, honestly, in the South, we put the emphasis on the second syllable. And sometimes we create an extra syllable if we need to. <laughs> and we speak a little slower. And in the upper Midwest, they put the emphasis on the first syllable. It's one of the biggest differences. Next day, the next girl comes home crying, the same thing. They're making, they want to know if we're part of the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Man, we're, we're holding services, you know. We got up to about 40 people, and I thought it was time for the second coming of Christ to come. I mean, couldn't get any better. They had about 40 people, and I preached my heart out one morning, and mind you the way it was, we're meeting in the Meadowbrook Elementary School, and so we'd get up really early, and I would take our, our station wagon, and Terry would go with me, and, and I guess all the family, because all we had was one car, right? So we're all together. Terry would, would help me. We'd go to the church office on Lake Cook Road in Deerfield, Illinois, and we would pack that station wagon with our, our sound system and, 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 and everything you need to do church with stuff for the nursery and for the classrooms. And Terry and I would get there early, I had asked people to come and help. Nobody would come help set up church. So here's a late year old Terry. That's the reason she's so strong today. She's helping me to put up the PA system and put up the Korg keyboard and put up the speakers and, and we go lay out carpet in the teacher's lounge and turn it into a nursery and we go to the library and we turn that into a Sunday school and man we'd already worked about an hour and a half before anybody ever showed up to come to church and so then because I was it sometimes I led the worship <laughs> I made the announcements I received the offering I did the preaching then I prayed for everybody everybody left and then we took up the chairs and then we took down the PA system and then we packed up everything I mean we, we had had a, a good full day when those Sundays were over with one day a man stayed back to talk to me he says preacher I just want you to know you remind me of boss hog I said, Boss Hogg? Yeah, I said, you mean on the Dukes of Hazard? He said, yeah. You know, you know, that, you know that dumb southern sheriff? Thank God for his grace. Thank God that he changed me. Thank God I'm not the person I used to be. Another thing that kept us off balance is, is, is thank God for those that joined with us and part of our core group and started giving and, 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 and it made it possible for me to get a little salary, but it wasn't enough to live on. And so we'd cashed in our retirement. I've told you this before. We cashed in our retirement and we went and bought, the church needed a keyboard. We went and bought the best cord keyboard. I, I, I took the, this couple that were worship leaders for us. I took them to the guitar center in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We went to the guitar center. We bought the best cord keyboard we could find. We bought a PV, PA system. We bought, we bought big old speakers that were heavy they were heavy to push up the pole when you when, when you got them going we bought a 32 channel board we bought a hundred foot snake that we ran from, from 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 the back where the sound system was all the way to the front we bought all kinds of stuff for the church we helped buy a van for the church it's more blessed to give than receive Kathy and I aren't making much, but boy, we're tithing and we're giving over and above our tithe. And sometimes we would give 
and we would give and we would give and we would look and it seemed like God was a million miles away. Sometimes we were being faithful with our tithe and we say, God, where are you? You don't seem to be coming through because I'm looking at our balances in our bank account and it's going down, 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 down. I want you to know the devil is a liar. He is not truthful in Jesus name. I'm going to tell you something. We saw God come through for us in miraculous ways, but he doesn't settle up every Saturday night. And he may not settle up exactly when you want him to settle up, but God is faithful. It is impossible to outgive God. Yes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I stood on Galatians 6, 9. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap. I want you to say in due season. God has a due season in your life. Don't you allow the devil to talk you in, out of knowing that there's a due season for your life. Every prayer that you prayed has gone up to heaven. Every, every concern that you've demonstrated. He that gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay is what the scripture says. There is a due season and sometimes we just have to look up to heaven and say, God, I thank you that you have a due season for my life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Going through all of that, if there's anything I learned... It's this, God does not live. In fact, I think we've got it as a slide. God doesn't live in the safe zone. God lives in the faith zone. Getting quiet in this Presbyterian church, come on. And I love the Presbyterians. But God doesn't live in the safe zone. He lives in the faith zone because the faith zone is where miracles take place. See, I didn't know that. When I went up there to pastor, oh, I thought I knew it. I've got a dad that's a signs and wonders evangelist. I've got a dad that's a man of faith. But how many of you know God doesn't have any grandchildren? And I had to learn that God doesn't answer my prayers because I'm obedient. I'm obedient because it's in my best interest to be obedient. God's not going to answer my prayers because I'm living a sanctified and holy life. He's not answering my prayers because of what I don't do. Well, I don't do this sin and I don't do that sin and I don't do the other. I learned that God only answers prayer because of faith because Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith. Abraham is the father of our faith but Abraham didn't always make the right decisions. I mean, just ask Sarah. Twice he lied about her not being his wife. Twice. He said, yeah, O King Abimelech. Yes, O Pharaoh. Yeah, she's, she's, she's really my sister. Well, she's his half-sister, not his whole sister. So it was like a half-lie. Man, I'm going to give you some, some, some advice. Don't you ever, don't you ever tell anybody that your wife is not your wife. <laughs> Don't you ever. Can't you? I mean, here's old, here's old Abraham. He sees Pharaoh's chariot coming and he's trying to get that wedding ring off. I got to get this thing off. He's coming for my wife. He wasn't perfect. But the Bible says 
against hope. He believed in hope. He counted God faithful. He didn't look at the deadness of Sarah's womb at age 90 or the deadness of his own body at age 99. But he believed God and God counted unto him as righteousness. I'm just telling you, you may not be a perfect person, but you may be covered by the blood of Jesus where all could, could say that's who I am. But dear ones, God's looking for faith. He's looking for somebody that will believe him when the chips are down, when you can't sleep at night, when nothing's going right. Without faith it's impossible to please God and if you want to live life in the safe zone it would have been safe for Jairus to not go and worship Jesus that day if you want to live life in the safe zone you'll probably never see the Red Sea parted in your life but if you'll get out to the faith zone you'll see man and quail you get to decide where you want to live you can live in Egypt if you want to you can be saved, but you can live in Egypt. Egypt's a land of not enough. You can live in the wilderness if you want to. You can step out in faith, say, I'm going to leave Egypt. And you get out here into the wilderness, and it's a time of testing. And sometimes we get in the wilderness and we say, oh, a loving God wouldn't let me go through like something like this. Oh, if God loved me, he wouldn't let me experience this. Well, he loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. And so he lets us go through some things so he can soon do some things inside us. So he can use us to bless other people. You can get out there in the wilderness if you want to. The Egypt's a land of not enough. The, the wilderness is a, a land of just enough. But I want you to know there's a land of more than enough and it's called the promised land. And I'm not just talking about heaven here because the promised land wasn't in heaven. Canaan is not just heaven. It's, it's physical. It was on this earth. You say, well, pastor, I've I, I stepped out in faith and yet I, 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 I seem to be in the wilderness. Well, don't give up on, on your faith. Don't give up on believing God. Don't give up on speaking his word. Don't give up on counting those things not as though they are. You say, well, pastor, I tried to step out in faith and I just I, 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 I tried to walk on the water and I sank like a stone. Moses did that. Moses had a sense at age 40 that he was called to deliver Israel. And he tried to do it by killing an Egyptian. Now, think about, think about it with me. How many years would it have taken Moses at age 40 to deliver Israel if he was going to kill the Egyptians one person at a time? A <laughs> couple of hundred thousand years, I think. It's because he had a sense of what God was saying to him, but he hadn't yet heard the voice of God on how to do it. He goes to the backside of the desert for 40 years and he sees a bush that's burning and it won't it get extinguished. It just keeps on burning. And so he walks over and looks at it and God says, take off your shoes. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And God says, now, Moses, remember back 40 years ago, you thought that I was calling you to deliver Israel. That was me. I am calling you. Now the time is right. Dear ones, I want you to know the bush is still burning. You say, well, pastor, I, I'm, I'm, I'm old now. Moses was 80 years old. He was a geriatric Moses. Come on. <laughs> Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let me tell you a couple of stories. I, I heard of a man who couldn't speak English. And he was terrified 
to try to learn English, but he's living here in the United States. So this man goes to a language instructor and he says, please teach me how to order food in a restaurant, but just very few words. And so the language instructor said, okay, I'm gonna teach you four words. Hamburger, French fries, and Coke. So the man goes in the restaurant, he orders hamburger, French fries, and Coke. But after a while, he got tired of just eating hamburgers, French fries, and Cokes. So he goes back to the language instructor and he explains his dilemma. He says, please, just a few words, but I've got to eat something different. And so the language instructor says, eggs, toast, juice. Eggs, toast, juice. So the man goes into a restaurant. The waiter comes by, taking his order. He says, eggs, toast, juice. And the waiter says, how do you want your eggs cooked? And the man goes, what kind of toast do you want? What kind of juice? Would you like apple juice or orange juice? Man didn't know what to say. Finally exasperated, he looked at the waiter and he says, hamburger, french fry, and Coke. Dear ones, the, the point of the matter is this, you can live a hamburger, french fry, and Coke life if you want to. But God's got a whole lot more for you. He's looking for somebody that'll believe him. You say, but pastor, I, 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 people have hurt me over the years. Pastor, I've been through a divorce. I'm never going to put myself in that position to get hurt again. People have, have rejected me, Pastor. My best friend betrayed me. Pastor, I, I got fired at work. I, I went through a bankruptcy, Pastor. Well, I'm so sorry those things have happened. But the Bible says many may be the afflictions of the righteous, but God will deliver us out of them all. And you got to make up your mind, am I going to focus and I'm going to think on this bad thing that's happened to me? Am I going to live my life licking my wounds? Or am I going to say, God is delivering me out of every difficulty? I'll be honest with you, there are times that just the, the stress and the pressures of going through life, the stress and pressures of trying to work with the city and the county and the canopy roads just on trying to do some build out around here. There are days I just say, God, this is just nuts. I drive down the road crying, just getting rid of some stress. But I don't go around speaking doubt and unbelief. Two more stories. You give me that much time? Two more stories. Had a businessman in our church in Illinois. He owned a company. He employed about 50 employees. And God was blessing his company. His cash flow was really good. He was making lots of money. He was making money for his employees. All was going well. But then he hit some hard times. Cash flow became a major, major issue. He came to me and we talked about it and prayed about it. He says, without God, I'm going to go under. I'm not going to have the cash flow. I'm going to have to go bankrupt. And for the next 18 months, I'd see him on Sunday mornings and I'd see him on Wednesday nights and I'd say, how you doing? And he gave me the same answer. He says, I'm trusting God. Dear, there are times, guys, you're not going to feel like, like, like jumping, jumping through hoops and swinging on the chandelier. 
and, and, and just rejoicing in a hallelujah good times. There are times that you're just getting through what you're getting through. Here's the deal. Keep speaking your faith and not your doubts. I loved his answer to me. I'm trusting God. And I'm here to tell you that at the end of those 18 months, things begin to change and his cash flow in his company changed. He never had to lay off any employees. God saw him through because God is faithful, but God responds to faith. One more story. Roy Hicks Sr. Roy Hicks Sr., the past president and general superintendent of the Foursquare denomination. It's a full gospel denomination of churches. They, we don't have a lot of them on the East Coast, but they're very, very strong on the West Coast. In fact, their website says they've got 60,000 churches today in 144 countries. And he was the president. He was the general superintendent for many, many years. And because of a mutual acquaintance, I was asked if I wanted Brother Hicks to come and preach in our church in Illinois for a weekend. And he came. Wonderful man of God. Very anointed, but also very wise. And I was having a meal with Dr. Hicks, and I asked him, I said, Dr. Hicks, what's the secret of being successful in ministry? And he thought, he says, I've got a twofold answer. He says, number one, Norm, come on to the keyboard. He said, number one, he says, don't ever allow bitterness inside your heart. Don't allow unfulfilled revenge inside your heart. Don't allow unforgiveness to fester in your heart. He says, I've seen more pastors make shipwreck out of their life because of bitterness in their heart. I've seen more business people make shipwreck of their life because of bitterness. I've seen more educators more engineers, more people across the face of America have made shipwreck because they've allowed bitterness in their hearts. Don't ever do that, Pastor. He said, number two, he said, Pastor, you're going to run into things that are difficult. You're going to see some things with your eyes and you're going to hear some things with your ear that are going to be greatly discouraging. Now, what I didn't know at that point in time is that Roy Hicks Sr. is one of the editors of the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. Jack Hayford is a senior editor, and he was a four-square pastor, and so he got his general superintendent involved. And so he wrote some of the study notes in here. And I actually found what Dr. Hicks told me that day in Illinois. I found it. Let's look at that, that, that quote Here's what he said to me. He said, Terrell, when you're facing great challenges, do not permit your lips to speak unbelieving words. Did you catch that? When you're facing a crisis, don't allow your lips to speak un unbelieving words. Prohibit demoralizing speech from your lips. Because words can bind up and words can set free. We cannot help what we see and what we hear. Because we're all going to hear and see some things that are discouraging. We're all going to see and hear some things that hurt. We're all going to see and hear some things that, that, that can make us have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad life. We can't help what we see and hear, but our refusal to speak doubt and fear will keep our hearts more inclined to do what God can do rather than what we cannot do. 
We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.